That goes to the boards, though. The Rangers. There's Drury after it in the corner. Drury spun it out in front. There's the shot. Blocked in front. Rebound. Good evening. It is February 22nd, 2011. We are in Buffalo, New York, where it may be very cold outside, but everyone is very, very excited, and they're calling it Pagula Day. Don, I know you got to probably talk more about it later, but how do you feel? I'm pumped. I mean, I think it's, it's just an ownership change right now, but I think it could be the beginning of maybe the biggest thing in Buffalo sports. Officially today, the Buffalo Sabres announced that Terry Pagula is the new owner. He is the third richest owner in all of sports. Uh, And I think the one thing he said in his press conference today that made me the hair stand on my arms is he said, if I want to make money, I'll go (laughs) dig a gas pump. Yeah. And uh, that made me really happy. I think it's the first time anyone has come in, especially that organization, and said that they just want to pay money to win. And as a season ticket holder... I'm a lot more excited about sending them a check for $400 for playoff tickets in a couple weeks. Absolutely. How could you not be? And even if they don't make the playoffs this year, I'm just as excited to have that $400 go towards next year's tickets, and uh, it'll be really fun. Uh, But the the sportscasters were a national show, so we're not going to talk too much about that. We will talk a little bit more during three things, I'm sure. But we have two great guests for you tonight. We have uh, Zach Rosenfield from AccuScore.com. Uh, a lot of uh, our friends on the Damashek message board and fans of the Damashek On Demand podcast will know uh, the Blue Horseshoe, Zach Rosenfield, and he'll be on to talk all things AccuScore with us. First, before him, after three things, we're going to have another one of the uh, all-time great sports writers. Last week, we had Joe Poznanski. This week, we have Lee Jackson from Sports Jenkins. Illustrated. Uh, oh, Lee, Lee Jenkins from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. And uh, he's going to talk about basketball and uh, uh, Blake Griffin and baseball and all kinds of really good things. And I think because we'll, we'll give away a trade secret here. We've already done the interviews, <laughs> and they're kind of long. So I think this is going to be our first two-part episode of the Sportscasters. Yeah, we'll split it up. Um, and uh, so let's, uh, it's enough for the open. Let's just go right to three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Okay, my first thing, which we have touched upon already, uh, keeping it a little bit local, is... Uh, so if you're not into the Buffalo Sabres, skip ahead five minutes or something. But Terry Pagula, I mean, how can you be more? I, I didn't even write notes about this. I'm thrilled uh, to have him as the owner. He said, I was excited going into the press conference today the same way I'd be excited like at a trade deadline or July 1st, anything like that. And every expectation was met and probably exceeded. He just said all the right things and stuff you didn't maybe expect him to say, but perfect 
Well, you know, it's interesting. Since the HSBC Arena opened in 1996, he's going to be the fourth owner. So for one sports franchise to have four owners uh, from 1996 to 2011, that's a little bit crazy. But just to give a little history, the Knoxes were the original owners, and they took the team all the way up to the Adelphia era. Right. When the team was sold to John Regas. John Regas, who ended up, unfortunately, kind of screwing Buffalo, kind of set <laughs> the whole city of Buffalo back. He had big plans Absolutely. to make Adelphia the featured company and in the Buffalo on the waterfront, and he was going to help Dominic Hasek and build a winner in Buffalo. But then, unfortunately, the rug got pulled out under that because him and his son were crooks. They went to jail. The team ended up in bankruptcy. It was owned by the league for a short period of time. And then Tom Galasano came in on a white horse, saved the team, yep. uh, saved it from bankruptcy, kept it in Buffalo. But you know what? The honest thing is, is he's, he's not a big sports fan. Right. He, he's, not, he's not a huge Sabres fan. He did it. He saved the team. He kept it here. His place in Sabres history is secure. He's one of the most important people in the history of the franchise. He's got a president's trophy banner. Yep. That will always remind us of him. Yeah, he saved the team and uh, shepherded it to Terry Pagula, who hopefully is going to be it. I mean, he I thought it was awesome that during his press conference, he quoted Art Rooney, who's probably the best owner in all of sports right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. What a good guy for him to look up to. And he even said, someone asked him, are you going to own it for the rest of your life? And he basically said, I plan on owning them for a long time. Everything he said... For a billionaire, it came off very uh, real and humble, and he got choked up talking about how like his hero, yeah, his heroes are now, or he owns the team that his heroes played for now. I mean, it's just awesome. You know, the funny thing is, he was just like me as a kid. He was a season ticket holder for the Sabers, uh, and he lived here for a period of time. And he was a season ticket holder. He he went to games. He's a big fan of Gilbert Perot, which I'm just excited with this new owner. I think Perot is going to have a bigger presence at the yeah. arena and with the team, which I think is great. Um, I think we need to get Dominic Hasek's number up on the on the rafters, and hopefully Absolutely. this new owner can take care of that. And he just said he's going to give it a, a blank check. And, uh, you know, Darcy Regeer, we've asked people in the last couple of weeks if they thought Darcy Regeer could survive another ownership change. And I am very curious to see what Darcy Regeer can do with a quote-unquote blank check. Right. And um, it's just a great day for Buffalo. It's a great day for the Sabres. And really, it's a great day for hockey. Because Buffalo, although it's a small market, is a huge market in hockey terms. Oh, yeah. And we continually are amongst the tops in ratings. Buffalo. Yeah. uh, Actually, I saw the commissioner on the Mike Francesa show in New York yesterday, and he said the top three cities for ratings. Actually, NH- Pittsburgh is up NHL right now, right? is Pittsburgh, right. Buffalo, and Detroit. So it's a great day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought it was funny. Uh, the idea that, I mean, he's a billionaire, but he's, from everyday people, you probably don't know who he is because he didn't make his money. Like He's not a celebrity or anything like that. So it's funny to think that there were people probably sitting next to the owner in their season ticket seats for the longest time and, uh, the local uh, talk show guy, Mike Shope, said, I hope I never hung up on him when he called into my <laughs> show or anything because uh, his daughters and he have admitted to calling talk shows before. What a guy. All right, my number one. I got a new app, Donnie. Yeah. You know how we like – I've talked about the iPad many times here. Yep. I have a new app, and it's amazing. It's called Pennant. So if you have an iPad, you can search Pennant. I want you, Don, to give me – a Major League Baseball team. Anyone. Just 
any team you like. The Kansas City Royals. Okay. I'm going to go to the Kansas City Royals. They're in the R section. It's very easy to find. <laughs> Red Sox, Reds, Rockies, Royals. Okay. Now, the Royals last won the World Series in 1985. So I'm going to go to the 1985 season just by uh, swiping around. And here I am in 1995. Now, why don't you pick a date in the summer, Donnie? June 15th. Okay. Watch you pick the travel day or something. I'm going to go to June 15th on the app. And did you know that on June 15th, 1985, the Kansas City Royals lost to the Seattle Mariners 2-1? to one. Ooh, tough game. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, the Mariners' starting pitcher was Matt Young, and the Royals' starting pitcher was Charlie Liebrandt. Um, let's see. What else can I tell you? Willie Wilson led off for the Royals. Lonnie Smith batted second. Uh, Hal McCray was in the lineup. A couple of George, <laughs> George Brett looks like played but didn't start. Uh, Dave Henderson was on the Mariners. Um, incredible, huh? Yeah. So that's the pennant app. It's, it's so cool. You can go any team, any year, any date. You can find out about the specific game. You can find out uh, there's a little thing here it's a little spindle don you can see and you can spin around to the different parts of the game um let's see in the fourth inning dave henderson hit into a into an out alan davis advanced to second <laughs> that's insane someone had to type all that stuff in insane so it's just a really cool app if you have an ipad i recommend it it's called pennant nice my second uh, thing we had Jeff passing on the first podcast, I believe, very first uh, death of the BCS. Talking, we talked a little bit about Mark Cuban and his desire to create a playoff. Well, apparently, he has uh, created a company that I guess he created it in late December, but I think it's just kind of coming to the forefront now. Uh, registered in Texas on December twenty eighth, called Radical Football. Basically. Uh, he created this company about two weeks after he was quoted as saying he was actively interested, but but in the exploratory stage of creating and funding a playoff system. He has hired at least one employee, Brett Morris, uh, who has experience as a na- in a national marketing agency and as Notre Dame's promotions coordinator. And I guess Cuban's idea is to keep the bowl system, but to make it more profitable for the football teams to go play in his playoffs. I guess basically he just said uh, put $500 million in the bank and go to all the schools and pay them the money as an option and say, look, I'm going to give you X amount of money every five years, but in exchange, if you're picked for the playoff system, you have to play. Hmm. So when I think we one of the questions we posed to him was how real did this look? Did it look like Cuban was going to really step up and do it? And it looks like he's started to. That's awesome. Yep. Anything that brings college football closer to a playoff to me is awesome. Uh, I love Mark Cuban. Uh, I kind of have thought, we talked about our new owner, I've kind of thought about them together today and and kind of thought about how cool Cuban is and hopefully we can have a really cool owner now. And I believe in Cuban. I think he's a smart guy and I, I think he's someone who could bring a playoff to college football. So hopefully it works out. And hey, are they taking applications? <laughs> you said that and not, not that I know of, but it's called, again, uh, Radical Football. So maybe if you look it up, maybe they got a place you could submit your resume. <laughs> All right, number two for me. Is A-Rod trying to trick me into thinking he's likable? I'm going to ask 
Lee Jenkins about this later and find out if he saw A-Rod yesterday. But A-Rod had a press conference as he joined spring training yesterday. And man, was he cool. Yeah. It was so un-A-Rod. Like, he sat down and he was real loose. And he said, so did anybody see the Super Bowl? Just kind of making a joke. Picking about, at himself yeah, a little bit. And yeah. he, he was just having fun. And he wasn't as stiff. And he felt like a ball player to me. And it was cool. And I wonder if it's calculated, though. Is it is it him just kind of finally just relaxing and being a cool guy, or is this another calculated move by A Rod to try to convince me that he's likable? Well, because it's it's a one eighty from the Super Bowl that he's referencing when he was uh, apparently yelling at people not to show him on camera again with his celebrity girlfriend, which apparently is a problem. I don't I don't I never understood the problem to begin with, like why he was so upset about it. I mean, there's worse things you could be filmed doing than having a beautiful. A-list celebrity yeah. girlfriend feed you popcorn or whatever, but he apparently took offense to it. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. He's always seemed so not approachable, like almost not like he looks like someone that's just a celebrity. He's not a real person, you know what I mean? And that's always been him. Maybe this is his attempt at some sort of normalcy. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My last thing. Uh, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not a hippie. I'm not like some liberal. But Texas Tech football coach Tommy Tuberville is getting a $500,000 per year raise. Hmm. At the same time, faculty members at the school have been asked to accept a pay freeze for 2011. Facing an 8% state funding reduction, Tech officials killed $3 million in faculty raises for 2011. However... Tuberville is still going to get his raise that I guess was owned to him. They've kind of said that, well, we underpaid him to begin with, and this was kind of promised to him. And the faculty's kind of outraged, and the faculty president or faculty senate president has said that academic and athletic budgets are funded separately. So maybe that's where some of the confusion comes from as far as the faculty goes. However, $2.5 million of the athletic budget comes from academics. So it... It goes back to a little bit of what we talked to, again, Jeff Passon about in his book, that the schools claim that they're looking out for what's best for their students, but it seems like paying to have the best teachers or whatever, it just seems like there's some sort of uh, hypocrisy there. Well, yeah, I mean, they're going to make an argument that, look, if we want to be competitive on the field, we have to pay a competitive price for a competitive coach. But the other side of that is, do you want to be competitive in the classroom? If you want to be competitive in the classroom, you have to pay to get qualified teachers. Right. The NCAA is a joke. We all know that. Good for Tommy Tuberville, I suppose. (laughs) But wouldn't it be awesome of him to say, you know what? I don't need that $500,000 this year. There was a teacher that said, I mean... Obviously, this is a teacher not making $1.5 million set to make $2 million. But one of the teachers did say, I would have turned it down if it were me. I would have been embarrassed. But that's, I mean, that's tough to say. I mean, what does the average college professor make there? Sixty, seventy thousand 70000 a year? I, I mean, I have yes. no idea. I couldn't guess, but... Not $2 he, million. Not $2 million, You know, and maybe Tuberville could say, you know what? Why don't you spread my 500000 uh, amongst the faculty this year, and let's see where we're at next year. That'd be a cool thing to do. Yep. It's probably not going to happen, but... No. <sighs> NCAA. My number three... Peace out, Jeremy Shockey. Yep. Do not let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Thank God he's gone. 
Uh, I've said before, I'll say again, I'm a huge New Orleans Saints fan. And to have Jeremy Shockey out of the mix is just, it's like a cool breeze on a hot <laughs> summer day. Thank God. Goodbye. I want to tell you a story, Dom. Okay. Last year, maybe two years ago, Tammy and I went to Las Vegas for a vacation. <laughs> I know where you're going. And we were enjoying our time walking down the street. And I said to her, you know, I'm really bummed out because Jeremy Shockey isn't at the Saints minicamp right. today because he got special permission from Coach Payton to miss it due to family obligations. Yep. So we're walking. Time goes by. We get back to the hotel at the end of the night. And I find out that Jeremy Shockey was taken from Las Vegas Hard Rock Casino by ambulance to be treated for dehydration. (laughs) So his big family obligation that he needed to get out of was going to the Hard Rock Cafe and getting dehydrated drunk instead of participating in minicamp. Yep. And that's just the kind of guy he is. He's always going to have a small place in my Saints heart because he did score a huge touchdown in the Super Bowl. But like I said, I'm very excited about Jimmy Graham, our third-round pick last year. Uh, David Thomas is very serviceable. And between the two of them and whatever else is out there in free agency or the draft, goodbye, Jeremy Shockey. Hopefully Reggie Bush is right yeah, behind him. I was going to ask that. He's got to be. I mean, what's his salary? Twelve million. I think or something it goes up year? to eleven million, and, 11? and I can't see him paying that to him. Although I, I was shocked they paid him eight. So, who knows? Who knows? So that's it. That's that's uh, three things for today. Couple things I want to go over before we bring Mr. Jenkins on. First thing. I just always want to give the website out a few times a show. It's www.sports-casters.com. You can go there. Content is uh, growing and growing all the time. Uh, I have my profile up in the About section. Donnie will have his profile up in the About section in the next day or so. So if you want to learn more about us, you can find that there. It's www.sports-casters.com. All the podcasts are there. Uh, There's a message board, which right now is kind of acting somewhat as a wiki page for the site, just kind of keeping all the information and all the guests that we've had organized so you can look at the the back guests, and there's some links there. It's www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Facebook. You can like us. It's www.facebook slash the sportscasters, and uh, that's a great place to find us and like us. And if you want to be our friend on Facebook, I'm sure – You can find us there, and I'd be more than glad to accept you. Uh, You can also find us on iTunes. All you have to do is search the Sportscasters. You can subscribe to the podcast, and uh, you can download individual episodes on iTunes. And, of course, you can email us. The email address is thesportscasters at gmail.com. And I think that's all I want to say right now. At the end of the show, I will give uh, an update of the schedule of what's to come. There's a lot of great stuff coming up. So I'm going to save that till the end of the show. Uh, but right now, we're going to go to an interview that we did with Lee Jenkins from SI.com. Then we're going to call this part one. And we're going to come back with part two, which is going to start off with Donnie and I recapping um, our NBA All-Star fantasy game. It was so, glorious. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll be right back.
Our next guest is a native of San Diego, California, and graduated from Vanderbilt University. He started his career as a writer covering UCLA basketball for the Orange County Register and then the Colorado Avalanche and Denver Nuggets for the Colorado Springs Gazette. Next, he spent four years at the New York Times covering various sports and the New York Mets and New Jersey Nets. In September of 2007, he joined Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com as a senior writer where he covers basketball, football, and the sport closest to his heart, baseball. He has been honored for his writing by the New York Press Association, the Football Writers Association of America, and the Colorado Press Association, and was named New York's Best Sports Writer by the Village Voice. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Lee Jenkins. How are you doing today, Mr. Jenkins? Great. That's an incredible introduction. I forgot some of that stuff myself, <laughs> so I appreciate it. It makes me feel old, but thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. We always try to make sure that our guests uh, are treated like royalty on the sportscaster. So, <laughs> you know... I actually got a little experience with talking to a writer in your caliber last week when I spoke with Joe Poznanski. So I have to admit I'm a little less nervous today. Yeah, I'm uh, not in his caliber, so you, uh, you're, 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 play, you're playing down. You're in the gutter today. <laughs> well, I think you're pretty close. I kind of yeah. want to do something that I did with him that's a little different. And uh, I want to start I – was, I was doing some research for the, for the podcast last night, for the interview, and I kind of found – an article somewhere where you mentioned an article you wrote in 2008 for the magazine um, called Virginia's Boy Wonders. Do you remember the yeah, column? Yeah. yeah. And you, you mentioned that it was just one of your favorite columns, and I went back and read it, and I was really moved by it. And I thought it would be interesting if we just started kind of talking about that story. Uh, maybe if you could, if you could uh, look back to that time and kind of remember uh, what you did, um, you know, how you went about yeah. writing it and some of the, you know, just kind of tell our listeners about it because I was really touched by it. I thought it was an amazing piece of writing. You know, I'm always, like, fascinated by these areas, um, you know, especially of, of, our, of the United States, um, small areas that for some reason during a specific time period will crank out a vast number of incredible athletes in a given sport. It almost becomes part of the culture. You know, you have it. Like you see, you'll see it in basketball right now in a, in a place like Baltimore or Seattle. In baseball, I think in the 80s it was in Tampa. And you'll have these sort of cities that all of a sudden will spring out a bunch of players. And a lot of times they'll be from like the same neighborhood. They'll have the same sort of AAU background. And when I covered the Mets, they had David Wright, who I kind of got to know. And I still have David Wright, of course, who I got to know yep. a little bit. And he's from that Norfolk, Virginia Beach area. They, they call it Hampton Roads down there. It's like a collection of cities. And I started to realize that he was really good friends with B.J. Upton and Justin Upton, and they played AAU together, and Ryan Zimmerman was in their mix, and Mark Reynolds also, and Michael Kadire came from there, plays for the Twins. And I was like, it's incredible, all these guys from this one area. And then I started talking to some scouts who were just telling me, you know, that it, was a, that it used to be a completely barren baseball landscape and that it just sort of sprung out of nowhere. I think they had, like, one professional player in the previous 30 years or something. And then out of nowhere, this one generation hits all these major, this major league talent. And, and, I mean, guys, there are more players that I'm even, you know, forgetting who, you know, maybe went AAA or were fringe major league guys who weren't stars. But to have that many players who you can rattle off of the same generation, and we all know their names, to me was pretty incredible. And then as I was yep. doing it, you sort of ask yourself, kind of why? You know, why there? Why at that time? And it came up that it was really because of one coach, this guy named, it's a classic name, named Townie Townsend, um, who really taught all these guys um, how to hit. 
and and you know they all kind of came up and they would hit these his his whole secret and this sounds like I'm talking about something from another century but he would flip these like with the lids on whipped cream right. you know what I mean those cool whip lids and he'd make him hit that you know and they all coincidence or not it's like part of their legend they're all pretty pretty good breaking ball hitters you know, maybe not B.J. Upton so much um, but most of them are and so it just became this uh, this sort of fun story um, you know there was a sad element to it as the Italian towns had passed away of cancer but then all these players kind of rallied around and, and they still sell those lids that the kids hit with or used to hit with then um, and even going back to that area and being around the families you'd see these photos of the teams and it would be like there's David Wright at 10 there's B.J. Upton at 8 there's Justin Upton at four or whatever he was, and they're all like together in the same picture. So whenever you have those kind of things and you just think about the odds of one kid on one city block making it to the major leagues and then you multiply it by, you know, six or seven, however many they were, it's just sort of stunning and it makes you wonder, you know, what are the influences that create, uh, you know, this kind of situation. Yeah, it kind of, I think it, it kind of caught my eye too because we're, we're based in Buffalo, New York, and we've kind of had this thing happen in the sport of hockey where yeah. in this small area of Buffalo called South Buffalo, you know, Patrick Kane was the first overall pick in the NHL draft. I'm sure you know Patrick Kane. You know, he lived uh, and played street hockey with Mike Radchuk, who was a first-round wow. pick yeah. of the Philadelphia Flyers. You know, Patrick Coletto, who plays for the Buffalo Sabres, grew up in Angola just a couple miles down the road. Um, Donnie, am I forgetting someone? Oh, Tim Kennedy, who played in the NHL and the Buffalo Sabres from South Buffalo. So we're having that kind of happen in the Buffalo area with some hockey players, and I was really interested in, in your, your piece in Virginia, and I just kind of wanted to start there. And anyone uh, who might want to track it down, it's, it's real easy to find. If, if you just go to Lee Jenkins, if you just go to his page, your page, um, there's a little interview with you on the right there, and there's a link to the column. It's called Virginia Boy Wonders, and I encourage anyone to read it because it was really, like you said, there's a moving, okay. al- a moving element to it, and it was just a, a really fantastic part of writing. So I just kind of wanted to, to start there. It was there, fun but talking to those guys. It kind of reminds you of, you know how, like, Eastern, I always wonder, like, why does every marathoner who wins is always from Kenya? Kenya? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And you just sort of, it just makes you think about that sometimes. And like, like you were saying about the hockey, I mean, it does seem like, you know, there are these select areas that always crank them out. And, you know, and for baseball as well. I'm, like, I'm from San Diego. We have a ton of big league baseball players. We never produce a basketball player. We never produce an NBA player of any, like, note. You know, maybe Luke Walton, I guess. Um, but, but really, it's interesting how that goes, how there are just some little corners of this country that, you know, for whatever reason, um, are really good at one sport and maybe not so good at another. And that, that does kind of fascinate me, to be honest. Yeah, and you mentioned how your uh, San Diego never produces a basketball player. Well, Buffalo's kind of been in an area that's never produced football players. Ron Jaworski kind of comes to mind, and Jim, D- Jim Dombrowski from from an older era. But now recently, Mike Williams of uh, Tampa Bay is from Buffalo. Uh, Starks from Green Bay is from Buffalo. The, uh, the three Gronkowski brothers are from Buffalo. So yeah, it's weird how this happens. These these little these little bubbles of time where all these professional athletes just get yeah. kind of cranked out. And you always I, hear I did a story a couple of weeks ago about a, a guy. I did a story like monitoring a guy on a ten day contract, following a guy around. Yeah, I read NBA that player. Yeah, Xavier Dowdell, and he's from Pahokee, Florida, and that's like I mean. It, 
Austin Murphy from SI wrote this incredible story called um, Muck Bowl. They call this area the Muck. It's Belle Glade in Pahokee, Florida. It's a really impoverished part of kind of, I guess you call it like maybe South Central Florida. Um, it's like right in the Everglades there. It used to be where all the sugar cane was grown. And I mean, the amount of NFL players from this area is staggering. It's like Fred Taylor, Anquan Bolden. I mean, you, it, it populated the University of Florida and Florida State rosters like no other little area in the country, but yet in basketball, they have nobody. I mean, Dowdell was like one of the first people ever to even get a scholarship out of there. So, you know, they've got all these great athletes, but it's like they are a football place, and that's what they do, and they don't do basketball. It's, it's just interesting to me. Yeah, and there was another, your magazine just did a really nice feature, too, on Al Equipa, Pennsylvania. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. just outside of uh, Pittsburgh with all the... That was a cool piece. Yeah, yeah, that was a really cool piece, a really tough neighborhood where... Uh, it's where Darrell uh, Rivas, I guess, most famously right now is from, but Tony Dorsett and Mike Dicka and just uh, an era of players. So, yeah, a very interesting way to start. Now, there's one thing I really got to ask you about, and it's really interesting to me, kind of like that piece, is Blake Griffin. I'm a big Sooners fan, um, and the Sooners don't – tons of NFL players. They don't really crank out too many yeah. NBA players. Um, you know, I think just a couple years ago, Eduardo Nahara was the only NBA Sooner. Now we have Blake Griffin, who's this superstar. Why don't you tell me a little bit about you've wrote you've written two pieces in the last oh, 20 days about Griffin. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you found out about him, what kind of kid he is, and what kind of player you think he's going to be, and how he's going to fit in LA and be a superstar Clipper, which is kind of rare too. Yeah, I mean he's so he's got the most understated personality. You know, I mean he's uh, he's way more Oklahoma than LA probably, and you know he. But I think it's going to serve him well because even in the midst of all this this spotlight and all the adulation he's getting, I, I don't really think it's going to get to him. I know that's easy to say, and then you sort of see these guys sometimes go off the rails later on. But I really don't see it happening with Griffin. He's like he's such a solid, hardworking guy. And he's not as entertaining off the floor as he is on it. He's got kind of a dry sense of humor. He's a really nice, approachable guy. I mean, you, know, you guys know hockey players. He almost reminds me right. of that probably more than a basketball player. Um, you know, he's really, really polite, really humble, um, but when he gets on the floor, he's a showman. And that's kind of, to me, what, what's interesting about him is just how much he's not a showman personally, but then his game, you know, is so flamboyant. And, you know, it's, the whole thing with the Clippers, um, you know, is that you know, he's obviously going against, you know, decades, decades of losing and decades. struggle. And, you know, I, but I don't really think... I don't really think that's going to get to him. I think the key for the Clippers is going to be, you know, can they build around him enough and show the commitment that they haven't necessarily shown in the past to convince him that he shouldn't just be here for the first several years of his career, that he should finish his career as a Clipper. And so far they're, they're saying all the right things about that. But to me, the Clippers are almost in a race to show that they can be as good as Blake Griffin can. And I really see no reason why they can't. You know, I don't know if you guys have been around the Clippers, but one of the weirdest things about the NBA is that the Clippers actually have the nicest practice facility in the league. Hmm. And you would think that for an organization that's always skimping that they wouldn't. But they do. I mean, they have, they have a really kind of luck setup out here. I live in L.A. now, and, you know, they play in a great arena. Um, you know, with the, with the Lakers sort of showing some signs of age, I think there's a ch- an opportunity for the Clippers, not necessarily to eclipse the Lakers, 
but to really kind of carve out their own niche. I mean, Blake Griffin is coming, you know, as Kobe Bryant is uh, is probably starting maybe the downside oh, of his yeah. career. Uh, so, you know, the, the timing there is, is pretty great. And also, it's, it's really hard to explain, guys, how much how big the craze is in L.A. I mean, it reminds me of, like, you know, Fernando Valenzuela type huh. of stuff or Reggie Bush or, or even when Manny Ramirez was here. But those were all blips, you know, and this right. feels like it can be more lasting because I just don't think this guy is going to be content with being sort of a high flyer and known for that. I, I mean, he wants to be a, a ball player. It, it amazes me, to be honest, how, how bad of a free throw shooter he is because kids like that, like him, are usually, I think, better free throw shooters. Um, I just can't imagine him not improving. I mean, you saw him a lot at Oklahoma. Yep. I didn't see him as much, but I feel like I'm seeing a guy, I mean, I knew he was great at Oklahoma, but I never saw anything like this. And I, I think it's a tribute to the work he did since Oklahoma. I mean, even yeah, last absolutely. year when he was injured, when he was injured last year, he was telling me he's like sitting in a chair in the paint you know, just shooting because he, could, he couldn't run or couldn't jump. He's just shooting from a chair. He's walking around the perimeter of the court dribbling a tennis ball. Hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, he's willing to do the things that maybe aren't that fun or that cool in order to get better. And I, I think this summer he's going to work just as hard as he did last summer. It just, it just seems to be who he is. And, you know, one thing I loved about him is the reason he came to Oklahoma basically was because his brother was there. And the reason right. that he stayed a second season at Oklahoma was because he knew that it was going to be the last chance he'd ever have to play basketball with his brother. And when you see someone who cares about family that much, you just know that he's just a rare kid. And, you know, for me, I always knew he was a great player. But when we played in the regional final against North Carolina, we didn't win the game. North Carolina won the game and right. ended up winning the national championship. But Blake Griffin dominated, dominated Tyler Hansborough. In that yeah, game. he did. I remember that game. Just dominated, made the National Player of the Year look like a toy. And uh, I just knew he was going to be a great player. And then, you know, he goes to the Clippers and he hurts his knee. And all anyone is saying is, oh, no, uh, the curse of the Clippers. But, man, he's been just fantastic this year. And, you know, there was an interesting comment I want to ask you about that. I think it was Charles Barkley made during the uh, slam dunk contest. He said, Wait till this kid learns how to play basketball. Right now, he's just playing on his talents. What do you think he meant by that? Do you think it's true? And how much upside do you think uh, Griffin still has? You know, I think it's I think it's partly true. I think in terms of shooting, it's true. But I mean, if you look at his assist numbers, they're really strong. I mean, he's not just he. It's easy to think of him that way. To think of him as kind of this one-trick pony who's just dunking over people. But I actually think his game is is more polished and more sophisticated. I heard that comment. I, I didn't feel like Charles was giving him quite enough credit. Um, but if that is true, and, and I trust his opinion more than mine, obviously, right. if, if it is true then that means he could just be ridiculous because if he really has that much room to grow, I think he does in terms of, you know, finding his shot, but he, but he is setting up teammates. And, you know, if he can even develop some semblance of a jump shot and become a better free throw shooter, it's going to be over. I mean, that guy's going to be ridiculous. And really the challenge will be on, you know, the burden will be on the Clippers, and they have the tools. I mean, they have pieces they could trade. I'm still sort of surprised that they never – got really into the Carmelo Anthony sweepstakes. I don't know why yeah. he wouldn't have necessarily... I mean, I get why a guy wouldn't want to play for the Clippers, don't get me wrong, but there are definitely some, some attractions at this point between Eric Griffin and... and uh, Eric, sorry, Eric Gordon and Griffin. Gordon, right? And then they have... It's important to remember with them is they have Minnesota's unprotected first-round pick in 2012. 
That's hmm. shaping up. Next year's shaping up to be a bad draft. The year after should be a strong draft from what scouts say. Minnesota is going to be brutal for the foreseeable future. Right. They could be looking at another number one pick, huh. uh, conceivably. You know, I mean, it's, it's possible. It's something people don't talk a lot about, but that unprotected number one in 2012 is kind of their silver bullet at this point that I think could lead them to real contention. You mentioned Carmelo Anthony. What did you think of the trade last night? Yeah, I, you know, I thought Denver did about as well as they could have done. I mean, I, you know, I mean, they got four guys who could be starters. It's, it's a wild thing, isn't it, like to see just a yeah. whole team, basically an entire team going to another city, you know, and the first thing I kind of thought of was like the Ricky Williams trade and the Herschel Walker trade. And in other sports, usually, even with baseball, you always see it with like the A's pull it off. Like the team dealing the superstar is usually rewarded in the end. But the NBA seems a little different. It's such a star's league that I think that, you know, the Nuggets will lose. They'll lose in the end. I mean, they will, they will lose the trade and right. because Carmelo Anthony is the star. But for what they had to do... I felt like they did pretty well because I, I never thought the first-round picks were all that attractive that New Jersey was offering because with Mello, you know, and some of the other pieces they could have put around him, those picks could have all been like in the 20s or something. You know, so mm-hmm. in, in this case, at least you're getting, you know, some real serviceable players. And, you know, for the Knicks, it, it could be a little rough. I mean, I, I, look, they're going to, in the end, they're going to be fine. Like in a, in a year, if they can add, they'll add somebody else, Darren Williams or Dwight Howard or somebody, and, and they'll be an elite team. But for right now, the question to me is, can Chauncey Billups run Mike D'Antoni's system? It, can he keep up that pace? Billups is a great point guard, but I don't know that he's that, you know, fast break, kinetic, you know, re- relentless pace kind of pusher uh, that really D'Antoni loves and needs to have. And those are the guys who Amari Stoudemire plays so well with. There's been some kind of rumors and reports that maybe Isaiah Thomas has been uh, yeah. kind of pulling a lot of strings. W- what do you think or know about that? And, you know, is, there, is that turmoil going to really end up hurting the Knicks in the long yeah. run? Or? Yeah, it's a terrible specter. And you just yeah. wonder... I mean, anybody with common sense would be like, why in the world would they do that? I mean, why would you jeopardize just kind of what you've built in the last couple of years? Because the Knicks have really built back some credibility. I was there a few weeks ago. I did a story from Magazine about Stoudemire. And it's like there's a totally different vibe around the team. Donnie Walsh and Mike D'Antoni, you know, they set a system in place. They had a plan. And they stuck to it even though it was hard for two years. And you could see this trade as it was kind of, Evolving, having some of Isaiah Thomas's handprints on it, or fingerprints on it, when you are starting to throw in more and more and more people, and then the last piece was uh, Timothy Mozgov, who the Nuggets wanted the Knicks to throw in, and really they, you know, they just killed a lot of their depth. I mean, they're not right. a very deep team. You know, I, I don't even know how good of a team they are. I don't know that they're a better team for right now. In the long run, yeah. Um, but, you know, Isaiah always pushed for those stars, and it was like, we'll do anything we have to do to get that star, to create the buzz in New York. Donnie, you know, you, you could see the, it was with the evolution of that trade that Isaiah Thomas was becoming more and more involved. I mean, I don't have, you know, great firsthand information on that, but you're hearing too much at this point uh, to not believe that there is more than a kernel of truth to it. And really, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, any, any fan would be able to tell, would be able you know, to know Isaiah Thomas was a disaster, a complete and utter disaster there. Why you would want 
to bring him back in the fold when you've got one of the best executives of all time and Donnie Wallace working for you. It's one of the more baffling situations ever. It shows really why the Knicks are always behind the Lakers and the Celtics. You know, when you have that premiere of an organization, I know right. Forbes ranked the Knicks as the most valuable franchise in the NBA. If they're always a step behind, there has to be a reason. And in this case, their ownership just isn't, you know, it's, it's not what the Lakers' ownership is, that's for certain. You know, we just talked to uh, Zach Rosenfield from AccuSquare.com, and, and we kind of asked him about the trade, and, and I don't know if you what you know about AccuSquare.com, but they're basically like a site that simulates games, you know, 10,000 huh. times, and, and they said that, that their computers only show a three-game difference between the Knicks with and without Carmelo Anthony, so I don't know, it'll be interesting to see you know, where this trade leads them. I mean, they haven't... Wow. They have They said three games better, huh? Three games better, you know, and they go... They have, a, what did he say, over 100 different variables, you know, and they, I mean, trust the computers for what the computers are. I mean, they have this complicated algorithm that I'm never going to understand, but based right. on their numbers, they came back with a three-game difference, and, you know, that's not much for everything that they gave up, but we'll have to see. Um, did he say anything about the Nuggets? Yeah, he said the Nuggets that didn't didn't really change them that much. What did he say? That they were, yeah, it didn't. It kept them. He'd say maybe a one-game, two-game difference there. Wow. Too. That's, yeah. that's interesting because they're, they're a weird team now. I mean, they don't really have a, they don't have a leader. They don't have a go-to scorer, but they're deep. I mean, they almost remind me of like the Rockets or something, like a team, uh, you know, that has a lot of valuable pieces or, or you know, pretty valuable pieces um, without necessarily knowing what they're going to do. It's, it's an incredible challenge for George Carl. Uh, I may head out there next week, actually. Just a guy who, you know, he comes back from cancer, he has to deal with this whole mellow stuff, and now he kind of gets an entirely new team. I mean, the, the Nets deal would have been more about the future. It would have been, a, you know, they would be developing Derek Favors. They'd be, you know, having all the state, stockpiling all these picks. Now it's almost like Carl has to make this whole thing work and right. it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting i think I mean, think about it from raymond felton's point of view say like signed up to come to new york as a free agent to play yeah. in d'antoni's system he essentially made himself too good too valuable <laughs> um which really which is what all those guys did and then he gets shipped out to you Denver, know what i mean yeah. it's just it's, it's a weird situation are you surprised that san antonio is doing as well as they are i mean 48 and 10 at the break does that surprise yeah. you at all no, definitely. He surprises me a lot. And I think it, most people say it's the surprise of the first half. And, you know, I mean, I just felt like they were, I think sometimes all of us, like in the media, we get caught up in this, um, especially when it comes to the NBA and that teams are aging. You know, they're, they're too old. It's kind of easy to sort of write them off at that point that they're too old. You see the Celtics. I even remember, like, back in the, you know, mid to late 90s with the Jazz. You always heard they're too old, they're too old. But a lot of these teams, it's like they keep banging on the door and they're kind of always around and they'll slip one year, you know, like the Celtics slipped a couple years ago and the Spurs slipped last year. But then they're still sort of there. These teams don't fall off as dramatically as they do in, like, football, for instance. So, you know, I'm surprised by it, but I shouldn't be. I mean, they're, you know, Greg Popovich has them running more. He's had an extra year with Richard Jefferson to kind of get him acclimated. It's amazing. If you told me the Spurs were going to have this kind of year, I would have thought Tiago Splitter would have had a huge impact. You know, he was kind of seen as their big off-season acquisition, and, and really Gary Neal has done more for them, and another guy they they picked up from overseas. So, you know, I mean, look, they, they're a great organization. They have a great coach, and they've made adjustments, and some of those old guys could still play, which is really a lesson – you know, for all of the NBA, it's, it goes for 
Kobe Bryant, it goes for the Celtics. You just can't write these guys off. You know, it takes longer for the old guys to fade away than it does for the young guys to emerge, it seems. And it's just incredible, I mean, to go 25-2 and two at home in your first 27 home games of the season. I mean, that's just, that's, that's mind-blowing. I mean, talk about a no, tough place to play. And, and, and I don't know if you saw, I had like some players poll they do where the players still are, are cynical. They, they all are still picking like Lakers Celtics. I mean, people aren't really believing in San Antonio, and I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure if it's because they have a 6'8 center in DeJuan Blair or, or why that is, but... Uh, you know, they just they know how to win. I mean, they 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 close games, they win games. Um, you know, it's hard to pick against them right now. But but I'll say if they go do go up against the Lakers in the playoffs, that's going to be that's going to be highly entertaining series. Yeah, and it, I think for the Spurs too. I mean, with the home record like that in the playoffs, you're going to have to win there. And you know, nobody's really been able to do it all season. That's right. Is there a team in either conference that? It's kind of outside of the playoffs right now, but you think when the dust settles will be a playoff team? Or vice versa, is there a team that's in the playoff picture right now that you don't think is going to have the horses to, to finish it? Yeah, I mean, that's where to me like Denver's really interesting. I mean, you've got all these teams bunched up. Denver, right. Portland, Utah. Memphis. You know, out, out, out of those teams, you know, all those teams have had flux, right? I mean, you have the Jazz losing their, you know, losing their coach of forever. You have Portland losing Brandon Roy. Now he's coming back. You know, all their injury problems that are always following them. You know, and then you have Denver with this big trade. So I see those three teams as just really intriguing. Like, which one is going to kind of overcome the adversity that it has and, and take that leap into it. One of those three teams will threaten, at least in the first round, I bet. And, and I'm not sure which one it will be. I mean, I kind of, I still sort of hold out hope for the Jazz um, just because Will, you know, Williams and Jefferson, I think, have, have potential to click, even though they haven't totally just yet. Um, the Blazers seem the most equipped because they're, they're a really strong-willed team. They've been in this situation before, and I think they kind of take pride now in overcoming the injuries that they have. Um, and then the situation in Denver, which is just wild. So right. if I'm looking at any three teams that are kind of which way are they going to go, I'd probably go with, look at those three. And if I had to pick one out of those, um, I suppose I'd pick Utah. I suppose I'd pick Utah, which would be an interesting story if you can do it without Jerry Sloan. Are you surprised how bad Cleveland is? I mean, to be epically bad to go through a 25 game losing streak like they did did you think that they would be a little bit better than this or yeah no i no yeah <laughs> i didn't think they'd lose that many games in a row and especially at home where they've you know they have had pretty good support um seven and 19 you know, at home yeah yeah i mean and they're so miserable at home even though and they're miserable on the road too but you know where they've gotten pretty good support they just when you look i saw them play like about a month ago and they just they don't have a lot of players. I mean, they just have a lot of guys who you could think could be very easily in the D-League or on 10 days or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but I never really thought that would happen to a Byron Scott team. I thought he would kind of keep them motivated enough, you know, to win a game here and there. But, look, they just they don't have a lot of talent. And what's kind of, you know, what's kind of sad for them is that when you look at this draft, there's no LeBron James coming. No. You know, yeah. There's no savior there. Uh, it's it's a long process, and the other thing is, you look at the it's just kind of the landscape of the NBA. Free agents are, are just so much more and more going with either desirable destinations or huge markets, and obviously Cleveland, um, you know, re- really is neither in their eyes. Right. Well, it's kind of a strange transition, but I can't let you go without talking a little bit of baseball. So, 
Yeah. Everyone is uh, kind of settling into camp right now. What are some of the storylines that you're kind of closely following as we go into spring training and get ready for April 1st? Well, yeah, I mean, there are, you know, I think the one kind of thing that kind of became apparent, um, you know, through this winter is just the strength in the Northeast. You know, the strength of Philadelphia, Boston, New York, and just how kind of the balance of power is there more than ever. Um, you know, to me, the Red Sox are just completely loaded for bear, um, you know, with that, between that rotation and then adding Adrian Gonzalez in the middle of that lineup. I mean, it's just, you know, they now can go head-to-head with the Yankees offensively and are probably a, a tick better than them pitching-wise. Um, you know, and then the rotation with the Phillies is just so lights out that it's going to be Incredible. fun to watch. You know, it's going to be fun to watch this season. And then, you know, the whole team I used to cover, the Mets, is kind of an interesting situation. They almost remind me of, like, an East Coast Dodgers. You know, you have the two right. biggest markets in the National League have these ownership situations that are complete messes. The Dodgers because of a divorce, the and Mets Will because Pons of the Madoff scandal. Right. You know, and, and you're going to be wondering the whole time, well, are they making moves based on that or not? I mean, really, this was going to be a rebuilding year for the Mets anyway. I mean, they'd have a lot of contracts coming off the books after this season. I wasn't really expecting anything anyway. But, you know, the National League still... You know, there's just a lot of flux. I mean, Albert Pujols, what if he leaves St. Louis? You could still see a lot of teams in the NL winning if for some reason the Phillies falter. I mean, to me it looks like, you know, they're as big a favorite as you could have, you know, talking in late February uh, as you could possibly have. So right. to me, it's uh, I look at that East Coast and it's it's a bear. You know, all the other teams, like you look at these teams in the AL, uh, you know, the Angels, the Rangers, they just – they're going to need something to happen like happened last season where either the Yankees or the Red Sox experience a ton of injuries the way the Red Sox did last year for one of those other ones to, to sort of sneak in there. Is there any teams kind of like Tampa Bay a few years ago that might, uh, a smaller market team that might kind of uh, put, to, put everything together and emerge this year, or are we still a couple years yeah. away from maybe like Kansas City a few years down the, down the line? Or Yeah, I mean, Kansas City, a good choice, yeah, a good choice for down the line. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, whenever I think a small market team doing that, I mean, Minnesota is basically, you know, they're very much the same. Um, if they ever have Justin Warneau healthy for a stretch drive, I think they right. could be that team that sneaks in. I know that's not a, a unique choice. What about that division? Does that division kind of uh, that division and the uh, I know Central's kind of so many teams that I'm just not even sure who. Who would, yeah, I like yeah. the AL Central does have some possibilities. I mean, Detroit is a possibility. Um, you know, the White Sox are always kind of a wild card. So, yeah, there, there could be a team from in there. I, mean, I still think if I'm still picking, I'd still say it's the, it's the Twins division to lose. Um, you know, and in the West, I mean, Seattle was supposed to be a good team last year. They fell apart. The Angels are just getting a little bit worse every year. Mm-hmm. I feel like that might be Texas's division to lose also. But, I mean, look, it's, it's just it's going to be one and loss in the AL East. And, you know, and those teams in the Central are just going to be kind of scrambling to, to, play, to play spoiler and, and hope to win that best of five walk-on round probably. If Pujols is ever a free agent, who has the means, like, who could sign Albert Pujols? You know, I mean, it seems like there's only a few teams, but then you look at those teams and they don't make sense. Like, for example, the Yankees have paid a ton of money to Teixeira, so they don't really make a lot of sense. You know, the Phillies have uh, Howard. They don't make right. sense. Where is, do, 
is it a Derek Jeter situation where Derek Jeter needs the Yankees as much as the Yankees need Jeter? That's you know, a great question. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the answer that a Red Sox fan or a Yankee fan would give you is, well, that's what the DH is for. Right. <laughs> you know, they would just want to shove Adrian Gonzalez or Teixeira. I mean, really, those two guys are better defensively than, well, I don't know, it's going to be a wash. So, I mean, they, they could, you know, they could do something like that. It's not out of the, or, out of the realm of the possible. The Cubs, if they want to make yeah. a huge splash, the Mets will have a ton of money coming off the books, as I said. You know, they could potentially do it. But you asked a great question about, does he need them more than, more than they need him? And it, it, the reason it's a great question is that Albert Pujols is a really, he's a really surly guy. He's a yeah. really tough guy. And, you know, I don't think he wants, or at least he shouldn't want to play in Boston or New York. I mean, he's the kind of person, I don't know if you guys have ever been around and recovered him, um, but... I would say he's the last kind of guy who should play in those markets with that kind of media attention. I mean, I cover Barry Bonds, and I've covered Albert Pujols, and I would prefer to do a story on Barry Bonds, to be honest with you, as far as, like, from a personal level. Um, he's just a really prickly um, guy, even though he has a ton of charitable endeavors and things like that. And I think St. Louis is a place where it can protect players like that. And, and players like that have often thrived there um, and talked about how much they enjoy it. They're left alone. They're sort of supported unconditionally. It's a great baseball town, clearly. And I think it's the best baseball town for Albert Pujols. If he went and played for the Mets, you know, I just don't know how he would handle uh, some of those burdens, the media attention and the expectations the way he does in St. Louis. What about the Royals? Why wouldn't they consider? I mean, yeah. the obvious reason is because they're the Royals. But, I mean, he's from Kansas City. Why not? Why not the Royals? Why no, I mean, it, it would be great. And if he were that kind of guy, um, if he, you know, and there are people like this. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to kind of my hometown, right? When I was growing up, Tony Gwynn was our best player. He always took discount. He, he right. always would take the discount because he just didn't want to leave. Adrian Gonzalez has the same agent as Tony Gwynn, but they were never the same person. And I kind of always knew that he wanted market value, at least. He wanted to share Howard money. It was never going to happen that he was going to join the Padres, um, so he had to be traded. With Pujols, he would have to either accept a drastic discount because he wanted to be home and he had some sort of sense of purpose with all that, which, to be honest, I don't think he does. Otherwise, he would have already signed an extension with the Cardinals. Um, But from the Royals' point of view, if he's not going to do that, they're, they're giving what? half their payroll, you know, to this guy. They got all these prospects coming up. They're going to have to extend them at some point. It's a really tough spot for a team. You know, it's it's, it's the dilemma that the Padres had with Adrian Gonzalez. Do you make him half your payroll? And in baseball, that is just, it it can be murder if if you do that. You know, and and if you make one mistake then with another contract, you know, you could be screwed for the foreseeable future. So, but I, I love, I would love the thought of that, and I wish baseball players were like that. I right. wish that they kind of had that tie um, to home more and where they're from. But for one reason or another, with baseball, it is even more businesslike. I feel like than with than it is in the NBA. It is, it is so much about the bottom line um, that you just rarely hear about guys taking less money. I mean, they, you know, they, they go to their press conferences like. You know, and talk about, oh, I grew up rooting for this team or I've liked this team forever. But it really is almost always about well, who offered the most money. Did you see A-Rod yesterday? No, what did he do? Well, he had a press <laughs> conference, and it, he was just so un-A-Rod-like. He sat down and he said, so, did anyone see the Super Bowl? You know, and he right away kind of tried to 
kind of crack some jokes in a typical kind of A-Rod way, but he seemed real loose to me. He seemed different. I got a different kind of feeling from A-Rod than I have in the past. And I'm just wondering if you think, if you think that he'll really bounce back this year, kind of having his first down year as a pro last year, or do you think that uh, he's just you know in decline mode and this is just how it's going to be now? No, I, mean, I don't think he's in decline mode. You know, to, to share another great um, year last year either. You know, I still think these guys are just, uh, you know, kind of like Alex Rodriguez. I know people would talk about the steroid stuff and everything, you know, but he's been incredible his whole life. And we're talking about one of the most, you know, most hyped players ever from the time he was 15 years old. So to me, it's just a down year. And, you know, with him and his kind of persona and the way he is in those press conferences, um, it's often very calculated. You know, he's very concerned with his image and yeah. things like that. So, you know, he probably... Yesterday he probably felt knew different. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm it sorry. Well. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, no. I know exactly what you mean. And you got to try to check this out because yesterday I just felt like it was kind of a different A-Rod. Just kind of a little looser, kind of not as... Um, not as stuffy, maybe. I don't, you know, I don't know. Well, and he he might have been he might have been hit with that backlash from the Super Bowl stuff, and felt like you know it made him look like you know kind of a Hollywood diva, and that he needed to sort of act more like a ball player, mm-hmm. um, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. You know, I I wouldn't be surprised if it were in part a reaction to the to the thing with the Super Bowl. Um, but you know, I think he learned he learned one of the most valuable lessons that these guys can ever learn is if you perform. The rest takes care of itself, and that's kind of what he, I think, found out two years ago. Um, and then last year, it's hard to say what was the reason. Um, what was the reason for a down year? But I certainly wouldn't bank on it continuing. Okay, uh, just one more thing. Uh, we're running a little long here. We're, we got the great Lee Jenkins on the Sportscasters. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. What's your Twitter again? Oh, it's um, si underscore Lee Jenkins. Okay, si underscore Lee Jenkins. You can find him on Twitter. Of course, he writes in the magazine. He's got uh, he po- posts on the website. Uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is: Do you have an iPod or pad? iPad? Do you have an iPad? I don't. I, I do was, have an iPod. I don't have yeah, an iPad. <laughs> I, the thing I talked a little bit with uh, Joe Pisnanski last week about this. Sports Illustrated looks absolutely stunning on the iPad. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to look at it, but I just really feel like the iPad can kind of bring SI and other magazines back to being a really, really, really prominent place where people go for sports. And I just wanted to ask you, um, I guess you don't have one, but... Well, well, I've seen it, and it looks really cool, and and I'm thrilled they're doing it. I'll tell you why I don't have it, is that... You know, I need to type. That's my number one function with the computer. It's like uh-huh. it's all, for me, it's all about I need to write. So the iPad, from what I understand, is more of a viewing device, right? Yeah. It's not like a writing device, is it? No, I mean, you can, I, I have actually have it in front of me, and I have an accessory where it goes into a whole keyboard. Oh, you really? Know, well, yeah, you cool. can put I, it I sound right. like I'm 80, right? Top of the <laughs> probably. But, you know, I mean, I kind of have, you know... For me, it's like I need the laptop right, to yeah. write my story, to my story. But if they can ever mesh it, you know, I'm happy to try whatever. I, but I am thrilled that they're doing that and they're kind of, um, you know, being on the cutting edge because it's going to have to probably pay for my kid to go to college. Right. right. <laughs> but, you know, I have a subscription. This is how much I like it. I have a subscription to Sports Illustrated. It comes, awesome. to, my, comes to my house every Thursday. And still, sometimes I'm compelled to spend an extra four ninety nine. So I can have it on the iPad just because it, it just takes the magazine to just a different level. And um, 
I well, just, they have I just extra love it. features on it. I mean, yeah, yeah, you can access videos. Yeah, you can access videos. You can, you know, bring up uh, up-to-date information with the uh, truth and rumor section of the website. And um, there's the pictures. You know, SI is all about pictures, and and the pictures are incredible. And uh, and there's you, little. You know what happened last year when Steinbrenner died? Um, Tom Verducci wrote like a special yep. story, like a cover. For for the iPad only, not for the magazine, because I think he he might have died like on a Monday night or something when the magazine like closes on Monday night. But mm-hmm. they but they were able to get it on the iPad. You know, anybody who reads him knows he's he's you know for my money the best baseball writer ever. Incredible, and also yeah. incredible on the Yankees specifically. Um, so I mean that was you know I just for hours wanted to read. I couldn't read it because it was on the iPad. It's just funny. Yeah, well. Is there anything else you want to promote? What are you working on? Anything interesting we can look forward to? Uh, I've got a, um, what do we have? We have a cool photo essay this week about the slam dunk contest that I wrote the text for. And then next week, um, we're going to have a story about Derek Rose that I'm excited about. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a good time. I, it's actually like, I know it's a time that fans don't love in the NBA, but for writers, it's kind of, it's a good time because it's like things are settling and you can sort of identify some trends and some teams, um, and really there's still great access to be had. You know, in the playoffs, it's t- it's just tough to get the kind of access that you need to tell the, to tell great stories, you know, but at this time of year, guys will still sit down with you and um, explain some things, and it's, it's, it's just a good time. Uh, it's really the time I love is, is kind of the middle of the regular season of sports um, when it's still there's no kind of crush and you can still really tell great great stories. Well, Lee Jenkins, this has been incredible. I can't thank you enough for your time. <laughs> no, thank you guys uh, for having me. I appreciate along. it. Yeah, we really, really enjoyed it. Hopefully we can do it again maybe when the NBA playoffs uh, get ready to get going and baseball's kind of going. Maybe we can talk again, but we really appreciate this. Thank you so much. Make sure you find him on Twitter. It's at SI underscore Jenkins or Lee Jenkins. Um, and you can find his, his columns on SI and in, and in the magazine and on the website. Thank you so much for joining us. Cool. Thank you guys for having me anytime. All right. Thanks. thanks.